Aloha, welcome everybody to the Curvy Geeky Fangirl Podcast. I am Joe, aka the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and you're about to listen to of my geek random ranting that happens uh, as I basically recap all the geekiness I got through my week. Usually that's TV, film, occasionally a book sneaks in there. Most of the time it is TV and film. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and my website, curvygeekyfangirl.com. You can find this podcast through the Anchor app, iTunes. I believe it is Google Podcasts. One day I'm going to confirm this. Google Play Music, I think, is still a thing. Uh, Stitcher and all over the place. I'm on Spotify now. A whole bunch of places. So wherever you listen to a podcast, I'm either already on it or on my way there. Just so you know. And basically, like I said, I do this weekly podcast, weekly-ish podcast, recapping all the stuff that I watched through my week. And this time, I'm going to be talking about that My Hero Academia finale that happened like two weeks ago. Um, I'm also going to talk about the latest going-ons with American Horror Story Apocalypse, what's going on on The Good Place, The Gifted, and uh, some, uh, some, some geek news that dropped a while ago that I just have feelings about. And therefore, I'm going to share. Just so you know, this show is spoiler heavy. Spoiler, 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 spoiler. So if any of the shows I just named you have not seen yet and you want to catch up before you start listening to the ranting, fair. Pause here, catch up, come right back so we can jump into this discussion. Because it can be. It can be a discussion. You guys can hit me up at curvygeekyfangirl at gmail.com. You can respond to me through the Anchor app itself. You guys can record a voice message. And I might even play it on the show. You know? Let's talk. Let's converse. Let's share these feelings about all the geekiness that is going on. Uh, In regards to geek news, I'm going to be talking about some of the trailers that have been dropping. Aquaman. Dark Phoenix Saga. That Nagini backlash that's happening. The continuous news about Birds of Prey. So a lot of geeky stuff is going to be coming down the pike. I'm going to be kicking it off with My Hero Academia right after this. Hey there, listener. This is Joe, a.k.a. the Curvy Geeky Fangirl. And I thought I'd take a minute to let you know about another podcast that I do with a friend of mine called the People of Culture Podcast with Shay Cherie Show. So that podcast basically touches on anything culture through the perspective of two women of color. So we give our opinions on a lot of different things and we discuss a lot of different topics that's not necessarily only revolved around geek culture. So if you were in the mood for listening to another podcast or to add another podcast to your list, you should definitely check us out. And that is The People of Culture Podcast. You can also find us on our website, thepocpodcast.com. Okay, so jumping into My Hero Academia... That finale that happened a few weeks ago. Here we go. So the finale was just kind of eh. Just kind of meh. We kind of ended it uh, starting into the next season like we usually do with the show. So it's not going to end on like a climactic note. It's not going to end on a crazy cliffhanger. It's going to end with just enough of a purpose that you're like, okay, so what else after this? So we get introduced to the big three. That was the whole culmination of this last episode. We get introduced to the big three of UA. And basically, these are the kids who are at the top of the game, who are like the best of the best of the best of UA, which is saying something because apparently UA is one of those schools where the best of the best are going in the first place. 
So we get to see them, and the biggest takeaway is Mirio Tagata. So Mirio Tagata seems to be number one for UA. He has a very Rintintin face. He looks the most like All Might. He's this huge tall guy, blonde hair, ready to smile in a moment's notice. What's hilarious is that his ability requires him to get completely naked uh, in order for him to use it. So he is able to basically permeate into a bunch of things. He can go through walls, go, into the, go through the ground, go through other things. But in order for him to do that, he's got to be naked, which is hilarious. I don't know if this is an anime trope or just something that keeps popping up all the time. I'm pretty sure that means it's a trope, but... If you watch One Punch, there's another character who has to, who gets naked in order to uh, use his ability to get ready to fight. And that is Peri Peri Prisoner, who is my favorite from One Punch. Let me tell you, I love Peri Peri Prisoner. But I just think it's really, really funny that you've got these characters that are like, all right, we're going to fight. Let me get naked. Here we go. Like, this is like, that's how this works. And Mirio Tagata is one of those. Um basically we still get our like overall lesson from the episode which is work your ass off you gotta work hard if you want to do anything especially if you want to be the best at it you got to work like even in your sleep work 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 hard um and that's kind of what Muriel tells everybody he's like listen I didn't just like slide into first place here at UA I was dead ass last and I had to figure out how to make my abilities work for me and figure out how to make them work at, at a pro level. And that's how I got to be the number one. I worked hard. I worked, I literally worked my clothes off in order to figure out how to do this. He challenges the entire of class, class 1A? I wanna say 1A, class 1A, uh, so that he can show them how exactly how his ability works. And he takes them out pretty quickly, pretty darn fast. Of course, when he, when he goes after Midoriya, we get like the slight hiccup, the slight hesitancy, because Midoriya, unlike his other classmates, is paid attention to the smaller details. So he's able to sort of counter what uh, Tagata's got planned, but not entirely. And it's enough to get Tagata's attention. So he's had his eye on Midoriya for a little bit, you know, trying to figure out who this up and comer is, like why everybody's talking about this kid and his ability. Uh, and he's also going to be the key for Midoriya to get his hiring done at a pro level. So now that they have their licenses, uh, their next thing is to gain work experience at a pro level. And they have to make the, have to use, make use of the contacts that they had from their internships. So this isn't one where they're just automatically going to be assigned to something. This is one where they've got to go out for themselves and try to figure out how to get hired on. So Midoriya is setting his sights to, you know, something that he feels is attainable. We find out that All Might's old sidekick is still in the hero business and Midoriya is looking to try and join him. Spoilers from the manga, he does. So, I mean, it's coming. We know it's coming down the pike. There is a testing phase and it's left slightly ambiguously. Like it may not be the easiest ride for Midoriya to join, but he's definitely joining. So, and it also happens to be the same uh, place where Mario is working, Mario Tagata. So there you go. All of those things spread into one. Uh, we also get to see a little bit more of, um, oh, what is his name now? I can't even think of it. Kashan. Bakugo. There we go. That's his name. Uh, Bakugo, he's still dealing with the punishment from fighting Midoriya in the first place because uh, he was on a two-week deal and Midoriya was only on a one-week deal. So poor Bakugo still hasn't joined class. And so he's listening to everybody talk and he's like, crap, I need to hurry up and get through this so I can get my license so that I can keep moving forward with the rest of my classmates. 
This is not a time for me to slack at all. And that's kind of where they leave it. So, you know, we're going to be going into the next season, which I said has already been confirmed, uh, with hopefully them picking up their work experience, you know, with their perspective. Is it agencies? corporations, cooperatives, whatever. The pro level, basically, for the rest of these kids. But also seeing what the villains do. So we also got introduced to Chisaki Kai, aka Overhaul. Overhaul is creepy as hell. I have a weird fascination with plague masks. They are terrifying, but also functional. Like there was a purpose to these masks. But they're so associated with death because of the plague. So they're terrifying. And this particular character wears a, a version of it, of a plague mask. And he also has a tick about germs. So he's a super germaphobe who's wearing a plague mask. He's got a quirk that seems that he seems to know how to use really, really well. Uh, they don't show it in the series, but in the manga, he uses that quirk and he takes out quite a bit of people in the process of using that quirk. So I don't remember if they show it in the anime. They might have. Maybe not. But the point is, he is basically somebody that you don't want to mess with easily. He's also associated with the mafia. So a lot of things happening at the same time for this character. Um, but I was looking into his little character page because wiki fandom is a thing and it's got lots of details. Uh, it gets even darker for this kid. So I'm interested to see how this works and what exactly breaks us all down and how much of overhaul we're really going to see. So it'll be exciting. It'll be exciting to see what is happening with that. But that's pretty much all of the finale for My Hero Academia. We spent a very lovely season watching these kids grow, survive attack after attack after attack, seeing the culmination of, or the final arc, I should say, of All Might, him finally going into retirement, seeing them get their licenses, seeing the growth between Midoriya and Bakugo, and even Tokoyami. Tokoyami is my favorite, but also Todoki. So Todoroki, there you go, that's not Todoki. Someone's going to kill me. But yeah, but also, you know, Todoroki. When it comes to those characters and who I'm rooting for, it's never anybody that's like at the top tier. I'm always usually rooting for the underdogs. Tokoyami is one of those. Also the guy who has the sugar powers. Now I'm going to have to look it up because I remember no one's name like ever but yeah also the guy who like he has to eat sugar for his abilities to kick in i love it i love him and i don't know if his if he's a particular ethnicity or not somebody told me he was but you know oh sato there we go rikido sato I'm, I'm, I'm feeling this dude. I'm hoping we get more information on these guys. I'm hope, I hope we get a little bit more information from, from the, I don't want to call them the B squad, but they're not, they don't get as much screen time as everybody else. So here's hoping we'll see more information from them. But yeah, so it's going to be a nice little wait. It's probably going to be closer to summer. I want to say they, they came back in like April, May-ish. So we're probably going to have to wait till then to see everything come back. But in the meanwhile, we have the manga to read, so that'll be exciting. Um, I'm going to roll on into American Horror Story next uh, and basically just catch up on all of the ridiculousness that's going on in American Horror Story. Listen, my hopes were high about this crossover. Like how I found out American Horror Story Apocalypse was even going to be a thing was somebody 
either on Reddit or Twitter, was talking about the return of Coven. The return of the witches. That is my favorite season of all time for American Horror Story. Season three, Coven. The My favorite. The best one. Because, hey, witches. I'm a fan about stories about magic, especially about women in magic, where they're not being villains and being killed off. Although that season has that as well. But we also have good ones. We also had a nice little diversity of magic and a conversation around witches that I'd never, ever hear. That I've only ever heard in my head. And that is the story of like, why the hell are all these witches just white? Like there's no other, and then, like all kinds of cultures had some sort of magic or supernatural or or whatever you want to call it degree to them like it spans cultures that's just like almost part of the human condition at this point so why the hell are they only white and in coven granted they don't answer a lot of questions or even get that deep into the conversation but they touch on it and then that's why i was just like what we had a slew of black witches uh, we had queenie who kind of plays both sides when it comes to coven so in coven you had the witches like descendants of salem type of situation white women and then you had black witches and they all practiced voodoo or voodoo because this was all centered around Orleans, new orleans louisiana so i mean we had marie laveau and her group and just seeing the dynamics between the two and what that means is very interesting it was very interesting and I loved it. And now getting into Apocalypse, you're like, yes, crossover. We're getting Murder House. We're getting Coven and whatever else is happening in Apocalypse. First three episodes of Apocalypse. I don't want to say they're waste, but they're not Coven. So, so in American Horror Story Apocalypse, the brief catch up, because I covered the first episode and then, yeah, I missed the last two but now I want, I'm like I'm caught up again so basically we got introduced to the world ending world ended missile attacks of some sort radiation everywhere a few select people managed to make it to safe houses we get introduced to these teenagers who are supposed to be like the perfect specimens to do something with they manage to secure their safety we get a lot of rich elites we get an Oprah Winfrey type woman and her son her son's husband. We get um, Evan Peters' character. I don't even remember the hairdresser. We get him, and he manages to bring his grandmother with him, which is Joan Collins. We get um, a very richy, rich elite girl. I can never remember her name. Her name is Coco for the show, so we're gonna go with that name. So Coco for the show is there, and then we also get um, her her assistant. Well, I also don't. I don't even know what her name is. And so we get all of them. And for the first couple of episodes, we see them struggling to life in this new area. We get our villains immediately. Sarah Paulson's character plays this very much like Victorian librarian teacher-esque type person who's like, the rules are the rules, don't break them. And she's just taking pleasure in taking away the freedoms of these people on like a daily basis. She just really gets off on it. And her cohort, who we find out later is a robot. The story is all over the place. So the first two episodes built it up like we're gonna be following these people for their stupidness and just see how they work out this apocalypse or whatever. And then they killed them all. So in the third episode, I wanna say, they killed 
everybody. Yeah, third episode. So in the third episode, they just decide that uh, everybody got to die. Everybody got to die. They poison some apples that got delivered to them. Question. Oh, I, maybe I didn't finish up the. No, I didn't finish setting up the scene. They're in an apocalypse. They their food reserves have been getting lower and lower and lower as time has gone on. They're to the point where they're just eating like gelatin cubes that are supposed to have vitamins in them. And these cubes went from being like really plentiful to like one each. And then they get a crate of apples sent to them. And it's like, just there's just no questions. There's no questions about why these apples are here, if they're safe to eat, nothing. They test a few of them, I guess, to see, but also nothing. But so then... um they're also under the pressure of having to leave this space. So Michael Landon is the uh, Damien character for the show. He has shown the hell up, literally. And he's basically like, all right, choose amongst yourselves. Who's coming to the ultra safe house that's got food and whatnot? I'm here to judge you and pick the best, right? And he's just like doing his crazy thing all over the place. He may or may not have had relations with Evan Peters' character, who, if you remember, is also his father from Murder House. Questions. Um, but Leatherman shows back up. And in Murder House, Leatherman was Evan Peters' character. But then Evan Peters has sex with Leatherman, who he thinks is Michael Langdon. Questions. So. This character basically comes in just to stir shit up. And then we find out that this character is literally the son of the devil. So they're basically playing him hard as the Antichrist for whatever reason. I still don't know why he's here with these people. They still don't really explain that, but he's here. And then there's a whole portion in there where he's interviewing everybody. So as he's interviewing everyone, he comes across the uh, assistant to Coco's character and realizes that uh, she has ability. And it was just like, wait, what? So Billy Lords is the actress who plays this character. And apparently her character is just like a strong ass witch, like a super, super strong witch. The latest episode gave us a little more backstory. Apparently she was going to the school that the coven witches run. And she was like a stellar standout. She was just doing things with flowers that nobody else could do and was just showing off to be showing off. And you get the hint that Sarah Paulson's character is kind of like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> like there's a whole Supreme story backline with Coven where like, you know, the most powerful witch usually ends up becoming the Supreme. But in order for her to become Supreme, the current Supreme has to be dead. Uh, and in the past, murder has been a part of that regimen. So worries but uh the world ended so they didn't have to worry about that after a while so here's my question okay so the, in the latest episode the way we get caught up is we get the backstory we find out what's happening with madison madison if you remember died she was the bitch from <laughs> from the from third season of coven she was an act spoiled rich bitch actress who was just a broken person honestly she just did shit to do shit and she just caused a lot of havoc for the show. I forget if she got murdered or not, but she definitely died. I'm pretty sure she got murdered. She definitely tried to kill somebody else. And then I think in the process ended up dying. So, or got taken out by somebody. Something happened. She's dead. So we see her 
uh, get get pulled out of hell because of course that's where she would be. She was a terrible person. She gets pulled out of hell by Michael Lind, and, and the story behind that is he is trying to prove a point to the current Supreme, played by Sarah Paulson's character. I, it feels like I'm talking in circles, but that is how it shook down. So this latest episode was a Michael Langdon, almost standalone episode where we just got a lot of backstory about his character. Why did we need this backstory? I don't know, but we got it. So we find out that he was raised by this woman who looks like the robot woman. And we, and he kind of explained that robot situation and that, you know, the cooperative needed to provide him with, I guess, a protector, a sidekick, somebody. And he wanted this particular sidekick to be shaped after the woman uh, that took the most care of him, which was a Satanist who looks exactly like her and who knew what was up. She knew exactly who he was and was just like so thrilled about it. Terrifying and terrible. Uh, We also see that Michael's abilities, they just kicked in out of around a teenager age so very x-men very teenager-esque age um but he also has no control of them so they just kind of flare out at will which is what we're led to believe they flare out at will he's learning how to focus them slowly but surely but doesn't really know how to harness them yet we find out there's a whole school of warlocks because sure i don't even remember if coven mentioned that there are warlocks just roaming around or not but they quite quickly established the safe house everybody's staying in used to be the Warlock School. So everybody's staying in the Warlock School. It used to be run by these men. There were four heads there. Cheyenne Jackson's character is one of them. We also get B.D. Wong. Hello, babe. What's going on? We also get Billy Porter, who steals all the scenes because he's fantastic. And his name is Behold Chablis. Like, Okay. Okay. And then also, whoever, I guess whoever their boss is, I also don't know the actor who plays this person or what his name is. I do apologize. But so we get them. We get these men, four, five, four, four men who are all just going on about how um, Michael Landon might be their alpha. So they've got a lore amongst the warlocks that at some point there's going to be an alpha who's stronger than a supreme who's going to finally pull warlocks out of their second best state and make them the first make them the best supposedly and this their leader guy is dead set that it's michael langdon and to prove his point he shows like some jail footage of michael just fucking up some dude who's interrogating him something went down at a butcher shop somebody got stabbed a lot and they believed it's michael even though they have no proof <laughs> that it's him just that he talked to the guy and uh the guy just immediately starts beating on michael and when he does that he immediately flies to the ceiling arms and limbs start to break he dies he dies a very gruesome death and poor michael's just huddled on the floor and against the wall so they're like, oh, yeah, he's mad powerful. And Cheyenne Jackson's character, who is the sanest of the bunch for some reason, is like, fuck that shit. Leave him where he is. We are not touching this kid. This is evil. Like, he's like, did you see what he did? Like, you want to introduce that to everything else that's happening here? Just asking for way too much fucking trouble. We don't need it. And he quickly gets outvoted. And they're like, bring him in. And as they bring him in, they test him. And he starts to learn more about how to harness his abilities A, we learned that Michael has a degree of control of his abilities. There's a scene where they're leaving the prison and the teacher manages to like side 
or not sideswipe, but basically like get one of the sheriffs out of his way. He pins him against the wall. And as they're leaving, Michael figures out or, or makes a movement to just straight up kill him, to straight up murder him. So you see that he's, he has an awareness and a control of his ability, even though he's promoting that he doesn't. And then we get a montage of him learning how to do stuff and like going way above and beyond what the hell they're asking him to do. And three of the guys are just like, this is amazing. And Cheyenne Jackson's character is like, oh my fucking God. And like, just like, we're all gonna die. All of us are gonna die. What the hell are we doing? Why are we encouraging this? We get eventually to a showdown between the warlocks and the witches. So you get Coven's characters coming right back. Uh, we get Sarah Paulson's character. We get um, another familiar face. I remember nobody's name. No one's name is making it at all. So just so you know, do I get a name? Maybe. No. Maybe. No. Anyway. Um, but basically, you see familiar faces. So Sarah Paulson's character, uh, the chick with the long hair who fell in love with the zombie boy. She's back. And we also get, is it Meredith? I don't remember. See, I remember no one's names. No one. I need Coven cast characters. Yeah, here we go. But um, basically, they have a sit down with these warlocks. And it's the three of them. Uh, Zoe Benson. There it is. Got it. Good God, that took forever. But there we are. So we get, we get there and we find out what exactly is happening. So it's Zoe. It is Sarah Paulson's character. And Merle Snow. Is her, her name's not Lana. You know what? Y'all know what, internet? Anyway, they're sitting down. They're talking about it. And I don't even know how we got to this story. They give us another side story about what's going on with the rest of Coven. So they're talking about how shit has just been hitting the fan. The Supreme isn't doing jack shit. And she's like, I'm doing more than you think I'm doing. It's hard in these streets. And then she gives them this story about how, like, um, Basically, it's not her fault that her coven is falling apart. Like, essentially, they kind of blame the fact that, you know, half of the women that she started to train for everything that was going down, um, a lot of them are dead or gone or dead. So she's like, listen, there's a story here. So she goes in and starts talking about how, um, oh, it is Zoe. There we go. But basically how like Queenie, Queenie was one of the uh, first witches that left Coven, left their little school. Uh, and she just didn't know where she went. Her, She said her life force is completely dropped off, you know, off of the radar. And I love that Billy Porter's character, who I constantly want to call him Pray Tell, but his name in the show is Beholden. Chablis. So Beholden is quick to say, of course the black witch is the first one to go. And I was like, thank you, boo. You're right. Like, why? Why is she got to be the first one to it? But anyway, technically not true because Madison died in the season anyway but she basically is talking about how like um she lost misty she lost uh madison and she lost queenie and she's doing her goddamn best you know she's doing her best for some reason queenie made it to hotel california she made it to the murder hotel and died of course and I, I, they don't even explain why she was at the murder hotel like why was she there in the first place, but whatever, she's there. And basically it is Sarah Paulson's character trying to save her soul so that she can then revive her and bring her back to the living. And she can't. Every time she tries to leave with her from the hotel, it doesn't work. She tells them she tried spells and charms and all kinds of stuff. Nothing was working. And eventually her and Queenie realize 
she's just not going anywhere. And she just makes do with what she can by staying at the hotel, playing against Evan Peters' other character, the crazy doctor that used to run that hotel. So then she's telling them all this story and they're like, whatever, boo-hoo, whatever, witch. Listen, we have an alpha. This kid is ridiculous. We need you to put him through, I want to say they call it the seven something. It's the test. Basically, it's a test for Supreme. They want him to test him as a Supreme to see if he can be one. And she's like, no. <laughs> she's basically like, no. People die during that test. The fuck I'm not doing. I am not doing that. I am not going to put some poor child through this just to prove a point and have him die. Pass. No. And she's like, and we out. And she just leaves. She leaves with her crew. They roll out. And in the small amount of time of her sharing this long ass story and then deciding to leave, Michael Landon has taken it upon himself to prove a point, to do something that she can't. And he goes to the murder hotel and manages to save Queenie and take her right the hell out. And he goes into hell and pulls out Madison. Now, I'm not sure why, out of all the names she threw out there, he chooses those two, but he does. And he succeeds. And when they make their entrance, granted, it is fabulous. They're all in black. That's the coven way. We're all in a line walking slowly as the wind is blowing our stuff back. Like that's, that's just what we do. And he managed to get a cape. He found a cape. So yeah, that's how the episode ends. So of the many questions I have, why did we need this? So, I mean, it it was all fun. Like it wasn't an enjoyable episode. It wasn't boring. Uh, we got we got lots of Billy Porter, so who doesn't love that? And Beatty Wong, it was fantastic. Uh, we also got to learn that there's warlocks, but I'm not sure what that has to do with everything else that's going on. We spent the first three episodes centered around a group of people that they all murdered. They just killed all of them off. They brought back Coco. They brought back uh, Billy Lord's character, and they brought back oh uh, the other lady. I can't remember. the the Oprah esque woman who I can't remember her name right now because yeah. Dinah, there we go. Found it. Uh, oh, Mallory. That's, that's, see, if I look at my notes, I found out the names. Billy Lord's character's name is Mallory. So she brings back those three. And we find out that Dinah is actually a priestess of Voodoo. So she's a voodoo priestess. But she's like, the fuck I am. Like, I'm not doing any kinds of magic. <laughs> I'm not doing none of this. I'm just trying to survive, y'all. I haven't had to use magic at all to get where I am. And you see Madison kind of question that. Like, sure, sure you did it. Whatever. Being all Madison. Um, But uh, yeah. So we find out that that's at least still in the ballpark. We still have the voodoo witches in in addition to the coven witches still rolling. And... For whatever reason, they explained that they had to put memory blockers or something on them to save them. From what? I don't know, but they did. They say, they make it sound like it was in part due to Michael Landon, like they were trying to save them from him. I just have a thousand more questions. The timeline of this is really weird. They make it seem like Michael Landon was a teenager when all this was going down. And now he's like a grownish adult, like we'll say mid to late 20s when all this is happening. So it's been a few years since all of that rolled out. But everybody they just brought back, who may or may not remember everything that's happening to them, 
Like, nobody's aged. So, a thousand questions. Or maybe just bad storytelling. But whatever. So, that's happening. Also, what does this have to do with the rest of the season? I found out there's only 10 episodes to this particular season. 10. We are four episodes in, and I still don't know what the fuck is happening in this season or what the storyline is. I know it's got something to do with the end of the world and something to do with witches and Michael Langdon, but they have done nothing else to push the story forward. Like, even if we didn't get this Michael Landon standalone episode, if they left it at episode three, when the, when, uh, see, Myrtle, when Myrtle and Madison and Sarah Paulson's character just come flowing in to the room to bring back those girls, like, that's all the story we needed to then go on into whatever else is happening for the rest of the show. They still haven't explained why they chose the people they chose to come to this damn safe house. They built up two characters in particular, the teens. You had the the white boy and that black girl uh, who then went into like this love story. Like they gave them this whole romantic side part. They built them up like they're going to lead to something, but they murdered everyone. So I'm just, (laughs) and then we get to the standalone episode. So I was just like, I feel like we're wasting time. <laughs> we're wasting time in telling the rest of this story. Most likely, this is because I am impatient. I am impatient when it comes to these things. I cannot binge this show. You have to watch it week after week or just not watch it at all so that you can binge it all at one time. Not the greatest. So on top of that, I've got a very slow progression of story. I literally have six other days to think about this and just dissect it to pieces. And then when the next episode comes with my expectation level already being stupid high, of course it's not gonna meet it because I'm not gonna get the full story that I wanna get until it's done, until it runs its full course, which is gonna be a while. So, so it's still very interesting. I'm still happy we got Coven finally. I just don't know why we're getting the pieces we're getting the way we're getting them like what is the purpose of this why introduce us and then murder these characters a sometimes just to bring them back but also b what is what does this mean for the end goal story and this is a common frustration with american horror story unfortunately like it never ran for super, super long when it finally launches itself. It's never gone like 22, 23 episodes. It's always been kind of short-ish for, you know, for American audience purposes. But um, I also just don't know what the point of it is. Like, at least in Murder House, granted, it had its own pacing situations. But you got the overall feeling of this is how we're telling the story about a house that seems to just keep spirits in it. Like you are eventually going to die and just become a part of the house. And this is how this is slowly going to progress. We at least got like that overall story to it. But with Apocalypse, I don't, I don't understand what we're doing. And it feels like they're doing a lot to try to flesh out Michael Landon's character. I don't think it's to humanize him more as much as it is just to showcase what the hell he can do. Like it is interesting that this guy can do all this crazy stuff and like he's how he's tried to tie to be tied into uh, the devil. But also like, what does that exactly mean? Like what is the end purpose to all of this? Like why plunge the world into an apocalypse? What's the gain 
from that. You need survivors for it to be a torturous experience for humanity. You do. You need, you need people to survive that. And if people are constantly dying or you're the one killing them off, what is the point of that? So, I mean, I'm still going to watch it. I'm going to continue to watch the show. But, um, I, I just, just, just why? Why? Why did we need that episode? Many, many questions. But anyway, yeah. So, I'm going to be talking about The Good Place right after this. Hey, it's Joe, aka the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to this podcast and also to ask you to rate, subscribe, and comment anywhere you hear this podcast because it really helps me out. Just let me know on what it is that you guys like to listen to or what you think I should skip over. You can also reach me through my social medias. I am everywhere as Curvy Geeky Fangirl. With the exception of Twitter, of course, Twitter has limitations. So take out that A and take out that I on Fangirl, but you'll still reach me that way. You can also hit me up at my website, curvygeekyfangirl.com. Okay, so we are catching up with The Good Place. I love this show. So since Parks and Rec has since, you know, stopped because, ugh, something about it can't go on for like ever, but whatever. Uh, I've been looking for a show with the same type of feel-good quality and vibe, but it has a great, you know, laugh to it. Just a good, hearty laugh with some quality content. And The Good Place has, I want to, I don't want to say taken its spot, but definitely helped to fill, fill that void. Uh, because yeah, we just miss Parks and Rec. <sighs> Such a good show. Anyway, so The Good Place, uh, I believe it's written by the same people who help, who wrote Parks and Rec, because it's definitely got their similar vibe to it. Um, but that's pretty much where those similarities end. So you've got a feel-good show that is hysterical. The diversity casting is also fantastic. Uh, you've got Chidi and Eleanor, who are hilarious and hysterical. Like, just just all the things. Many things. Uh, but basically, if you don't know what The Good Place is, this is a show revolved around these four characters. you got Chidi and Eleanor. you got uh, Jason and Tahini. And they're just, they were terrible people in their, their living lives. And they died. And as part of an experiment done by demons to help, you know, further torture souls that have passed on to the afterlife who didn't get the pass to go to the pearly gates, uh, they're kind of stuck together. So they, they get put into something called the good place. And it looks like a little town where you're paired up with your soulmate. I'm saying that with air quotes. And you're just supposed to like, you know, continue your non-living existence in this manner. And there's like these little things that are supposed to eat and gnaw at you about this place. Like they don't have ice cream. They only have frozen yogurt. Uh, they have a an, a clam soup fountain for some reason. <laughs> like just like a lot of random weird things to just like slowly get at you, but it doesn't really work. So these four realize that they've got some work to do in order to be here at the good place. I don't say all four of them, mainly two of them. Eleanor and Jason in particular realize like, oh, we're here by accident. Like we're not supposed to be here. Uh, Eleanor is actually pretending to be somebody completely different. And Jason, same thing. Like they're under, again, it was this was supposed to be like a torture implemented about them having a mistaken identity and them just like going with it because they don't want to go to the bad place. They want to make sure they're in the good place. So they start taking like philosophical moral lessons from Chidi uh, Tahini finds out about it and the four of them all together start to like rely on each other and work together. And in every iteration of Michael trying to run this experiment, 
he fails every single time because of these four. These four eventually figure out they're in the bad place. They're in the bad place and Michael's a demon. It gets to the, it culminates to the fact where Michael eventually kind of like takes on this, if you can beat him, join him, like persona, basically. He went from like trying to eviscerate them at any chance he could to kind of seeing their point and then starting to take lessons from Chidi and then rooting them on in their endeavors to become better people. And it's just, it gets hysterical. There's a, there's a character called Janet. She's technically like an artificial intelligence of sorts for the good place. She can literally make anything happen and provide you with literally anything. She has the answers to the universe, but she also is still trying to figure out what it means to be a living being in the first place. She falls in love with Jason. I mean, he's fine, so I get it. But um, but she's not supposed to have like these feelings or, or any of these ideals in the first place. So there's little things happening to Janet because of her experience of working with Michael that's slowly but surely changing her. So you get that as well. And in the, the latest season for this, with them having figured out they're in a the bad place, them trying to figure out what to do next, they were going to try and get to like... I want to call it the metal place. Basically, there's like a, a a purgatory of sorts between the good place and the bad place where you're just like, meh. Like you're just, okay. You're left alone, but you're also left alone. So, you know, it can get boring really, really fast. They had a goal to stay there, but because it becomes such a focal point of Michael's failed experiment, you've got the demons who are trying to get rid of them so that they can get back to what they want to do because they can't have these failures just existing on their own. And then you got the people from the good place who either are purposefully ignoring them or just don't care that this is happening. Like we don't get a whole lot of feedback from the, from the good place. Just a lot of the tears in between the bad place to the good place. We find out that there is a judge played by Maya Randolph and she basically decides ultimately whether somebody ends up in the good place or the bad place. And they try to plead their case to her about how like, yes, they were in the bad place. But since then, they've made all these strides and have like become better people as a whole. They went through a whole testing in the second season. I wanna say the second season uh, to prove how much they learned. And the only people who succeeded in that testing, I wanna say was just Eleanor. Jason failed, Tahini failed. And I don't wanna say Chidi failed. like. It was just Eleanor. So, but Eleanor was very much like, it's all or nothing. It is all of us or it is none of us. And she's prepared to face that consequence. But Michael manages to convince the judge that they should be able to go back to the living and see how, what they've picked up, or basically to see if they're gonna make different choices now after everything they've gone through. Mind you, them going back to living means they're not gonna have any memory of everything that went down. So eventually the judge agrees. And we pick up in this new season from there, them living their lives, trying to do better, but failing at it completely. Like they quickly go back to their old their old ways very fast. But it's really funny to see how fast that is. So we got Eleanor and Chidi first. We see Eleanor trying her best to be better. Like you see her initially taking strides to do it, to be a better person. But then she realizes like how much fucking work it is entailed to be a better person. And she quickly goes back to being regular Eleanor who just cares about herself and doesn't care about anybody else. And then we have Chidi who starts to realize that his indecisiveness is a huge, huge issue. 
Granted, in both of the, the situations, Michael's the one who kind of pushes them to realize that they could be better people than what they're doing. So, but it's enough for Chidi to completely change his direction on a lot of his his outlooks in life. And you see that, like, you see how well that was working out for him because he's got a new girl in his life. Uh, and he's just doing so well in his academic studies. His friend didn't die because of him. Like, he's doing so great. <laughs> and then you've got uh, Jason. Jason's story was by far my favorite. Him coming back to Earth and him realizing the choices that he's making aren't the greatest ones. So you see Michael save him from his death, which was going to be a terrible one. He decided to hide in a safe that's an airlock. So, like... Come on, guy. So basically, he survives it. And when he gets out, he realizes he doesn't want to live a life of crime anymore. He's going to try and be a better person. And he decides to just do like dance competitions. Like, this is it. I'm going to get a crew. We're going to do dance competitions. <laughs> this is going to be it. And you see him try his best. We even get to see Jason dance a little bit. And of course, move. of course, he can move. Of course, I'm can move. But he still, it still doesn't work out, unfortunately. They either fail completely or they become uh, eliminated at the start. Like they become disqualified right away. Like it doesn't work out well. It does not pan out well. And when it stops working, he's just like, well, let's just go back to crime. Like this, like there's no point in this. And then you got Tahini, who also with the help of Michael realizes that she's being very selfish and very petty when it comes to her sister. And decides to just escape from everything. She tries to get away from the material world at all costs and become a Buddhist monk. And then at the first sign of temptation, a camera crew makes its way to where she's at. And is like, you know, we'll film you in your journey to become selfless. And she's like, perfect. And so she becomes extremely selfish in her endeavors to be a selfless, charitable person. And you see Michael pointed out, like, this is the greatest. I love that he came up with, like, this character who's just like, yeah, I'm totally in on being a complete liar to all these people. <laughs> like, like, essentially calling her out on her BS. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Selfless, of course. How much are you charging for these tickets? Like, and, 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 like just pointing out a lot of inconsistencies with her so-called charitable work. But it's also a way for him to get everybody to group together again. Apparently, the judge has declared that if they don't work this out, with this new chance at life. Like, that's it. They're going to be in the bad place permanently. Done. So Michael's been trying to intervene and try to help. And his latest idea is that they all need to get together. Because in all of his testing, and he had tried to test them a lot, it always failed. Because eventually, the four of them would come together. And it just wouldn't work anymore. And for that to work, he needed at least Chidi and Eleanor to be the glue for that group. And then have, you know, of course, have Jason and uh, Tahini to round it out. And we see that idea get played around with as well. So you see the demons get in on what's going on. So they realize that uh, those four souls are not lost. They are on earth and they send their best person to go and get them. And it kind of works. So he definitely gets sent down there to disrupt them and he does that. But then you also have Michael and Janet trying to get them back together. And they succeed in that. So you get to see Chidi and Eleanor kind of have this heart-to-heart -heart talk about what exactly it is they're trying to do, what it means to both of them, and how they're both going to stick it out. The way they left this latest episode was like, it was a fight between the judge and the demon and Michael and Janet. The demon is all like, I can't believe them just going in here and not listening to you. And the judge, we get to see a little bit of her power. We know she's a powerful 
But I didn't know how powerful she was. She flicked that demon like it was a piece of lint on a jacket, like just gone. And then she tries to counter against Michael and Janet. Previously in the episode, Janet had been trying to summon things for the longest. And of course, nothing was working because when she's on Earth, she no longer has those abilities. But we find out that once she's back in whatever this medium is, this in-between place of sorts, everything that she's trying to summon is now like popping up and coming to fruition. And it's quite the backlog of things because she had been trying for a little bit to make them happen. They use it as a distraction to leave and they go ahead and make their way back down to earth. And that's where we leave the episode. I'm interested to see what that's going to mean moving forward. Having all of them, the six of them together has been an hysterical ride for the last two seasons. But what is this going to mean for the group moving forward? Like we're no longer in that in-between realm. We're no longer under Michael's direction necessarily for how everything's going to be going. Like, And not only that, when Michael and Janet are on Earth, they don't have any of their abilities. They become regular humans. So like, how's that going to work? Especially with interactions between Jason and Janet, because him and Tahini are starting to get close again. Or even with Michael and everybody else, like how is he going to reintroduce himself? Because now that he's going to be on Earth, they all met him under different personas. It'd be very interesting for him to be like, just kidding. So the situation is and like, and just explaining everything. The show is hysterical. If you get the chance to check it out, check it out. It's it's not super heavy. These shows are like 30 minutes a piece. And it's just, it's just a nice, like, feel good show. And then you just move on about your week. So it's not bad at all. And speaking of which, that's what's going to get me into The Gifted because that is not a quick and easy uh, show because, oh my God, you guys. Oh my gosh, you guys. That's going to take me a lot longer to get through. So I will talk about The Gifted right after this. What up, everybody? It is Joe, aka the Curvy Geeky Fangirl. And I just want to take a moment to talk to you guys about For All Nerds. Dot com. So you guys know, if you've been listening, I am a contributor or was a contributor to a lovely podcast slash pop culture media sensation called fanbros.com. Uh, they've recently gone through a name change because this one's just better. And it is called forallnerds.com. They are still doing the podcast also under the For All Nerds name. So you should definitely check it out if you get the chance. Your girl has recently been elevated in title. So I am now the fashion and lifestyle editor for forallnerds.com. So if you get the chance, absolutely take it. Go ahead and check it out. Check out the website. It's fancy and new. It's just so shiny and bright. I've got articles there. My first ever interview is there. It's done with Marcy Harrell if you get the chance. I also have my regular fandom fashion breakdowns and I'm trying to do something a little newer by including articles about where you can buy already ready-made geek fantastic outfits at stores that are centered around that dynamic. So check out forallnerds.com. Check out their podcast, For All Nerds. Get in on this geeky information, this geeky insight. It is told by geeks of color from the perspective of nerds of color because yes, all of the things and whatnot. All right, so, okay, The Gifted. Did I talk about the first episode? I don't think I did. No, I think it came on like the week after, after I recorded that first episode back, but here we go, The Gifted. So I'm a fan of X-Men. I have talked about that in the past. X-Men, the animated series is amazing and I own it on Amazon. You can buy the seasons on Amazon, in case you did not know. 
I love the storytelling of the X-Men. X-Men is what brought me into the Marvel world. I loved X-Men because it was so flippin' diverse. I had a powerful black woman in the first episode. I was like, and she could control the weather. I was like, yo, oh my God. We had Jubilee, Jubilation Lee. Do Okay, granted, she was playing like the annoying teenager, but I identified as an eight-year-old watching this because I too would have a thousand questions and just be doing the most with my abilities because I don't know anything and I would just be acting a fool. So I got you, Jubilee. I understand. Um, but also <laughs> Gambit, like the whole show was just such an integral part of my childhood. So when I get live action reiterations for X-Men, I get excited and then I get disappointed because no one knows what the fuck they are doing. Example, the X-Men movie. So Fox owns the rights to X-Men because Marvel was going through it there for a little bit and had to sell some stuff off. So since Fox has had them, um, it's just been a weird show. It's just been a weird ride with X-Men. The very first X-Men I was very, very excited about because we never had like a mainstream in the theaters X-Men movie. We had a made-for-TV X-Men-ish movie ooh, that I think you can catch on YouTube. It wasn't great, but <laughs> it's very 90s. It was just, there was a lot of things happening but I loved that movie I think we I want to say we had on a VHS we recorded on a VHS and I watched it a lot because it was great this is not what I am talking about I'm trying to find the film but it is not helping me Generation X that's what it's called there it is internet you help me out you need to help me so Generation X was the movie that came out. We had a character who was super strong. So you had a girl who was like crazy strong, but she would like hide herself under clothes because her muscles, the implication was her muscles were just always roiding out, just always growing. And her experience has always been negative when it came to like showing her body to people. So she wasn't trying to be about that, but she had a romance with a boy who had x-ray vision like there were just a lot of questions i think he had x-ray vision and uh there was a whole scene where like he was trying to look through her clothes and like things that happened um we also had this black character who basically depending on what he was holding on to he could then like maintain that consistency so if he held on to a rock his fist became like a rock it just it, they didn't explain things very well at all. Jubilee was in it. They gave us Jubilee. Jubilee was there. And she was just randomly in there talking about things. She's also a white woman. Jubilee is Asian. I don't... 90s. Um, we also had... <laughs> we had a bunch of other people. But it feels like they took the campiness from this television movie and just put it into their theater films. Just because. X-Men, the first movie... It does not it does not hold up it's not great i mean it was great for opening the doors the way it did but that's pretty much it and then we had x-men the last stand garbage then we had x-men first class i know a lot of people love x-men first class and they feel like that's the first x-men movie that fox got right i disagree but to each their own who am i to begrudge them whether or not this was a fantastic movie uh but uh I don't like any of the first class films. And then we had another one that did something. I don't, 
I couldn't even tell you. I couldn't even tell you what it is because it starts to blend together. So, I mean, there's characters that stand out. Everybody loves Evan Peters' character's version of Quicksilver. He does a great job of it. He is a standout in a lot of what he does. <laughs> Perfect. I love that we had Lan- Lana Condor as Jubilee, even though she got no screen time in X-Men Apocalypse. Like, come on, y'all. Or why they started centering it all around Mystique. Like, I understand Jennifer Lawrence was a bigger name. They felt like we have to back this name in order to get people to come. You don't. You don't need to back this name to get people to come. Look at any Marvel movie. Look at any of them. None of the their leads were people that anybody knew, unfortunately. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. was a name that people were aware of, but he was not at the height of his popularity when they got him. He was the actor that like fell off for a really long time. And all of a sudden was just showing the hell up in this movie. And we were like, okay. But we came and watched it because he's freaking good. Same thing with Chris Evans. Same thing with Chris Hemsworth. Same with... Now, damn near any of the Chris's, actually, if you think about it, <laughs> like all of the characters, they've done an amazing job of hiring directors we've never really heard of before and actors that we've never really heard of before and still getting people to watch these films. So we don't need a mainstream lead in order for the movie to take off. But for whatever reason, Fox was like, no, we have to do this every single time, <laughs> every single time. Not to say all Marvel properties under Fox have sucked. Logan is amazing. Deadpool is amazing. Those are also rated R films. And with very little campiness of the other X-Men movies. So it's just like, so all of that to say, this camping is definitely carrying over to The Gifted. I really like the first season of The Gifted, actually. The first season of The Gifted, you know, you're trying to feel it out. It had its moments. I still don't know why we need to focus so much around the Von Strucker family. I don't get that at all. Or why, why they're here. Like, just, I, it's not, I, okay. So, and the second season kicks off, we got a very dumb comeback episode, in my opinion, uh, of everybody. I mean, when you come back from the, from a season break, usually that first episode is like the catch-up slash this is what we're doing this season episode. So they kind of touch on things that happened in the previous season. Uh, you know, the kids being mutants, them being on the run, them finding out that they're also descendants of the, the Finier, Finier, Finier wolf? The wolf, whatever that thing is. Um... And then also seeing that they can actually touch on that ability. We also found out about the Hellfire Club. And there's a whole crew of other mutants who are a part of this club that may or may not be evil. But they'd be doing things. So that. And then we've got the Mutant Underground. And we see what's happening with Polaris and I want to call him Sunburn. That's not his name. But that's what I'm going to call him, Sunburn. So like we see all of that and then we see all of the breaking that happened afterwards, the splitting, yada, 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 yada. The whole first episode was around the pregnancy of Polaris, like her having this baby. A, who cares? <laughs> like I don't, I understand that they threw in that storyline to add to the chaos of what was happening on that show. And in the first season to, for me, it worked. Like you, not only did you have them on the run, and trying to save other people and constantly at battle with that safety nonstop. Of course, adding a pregnancy to that would be enough to break anybody, but also lean itself to a bunch of other storytelling. I got it. 
That's cool. But now I feel like they hit that moment where like they're like, we have to do something with this. Like if she loses the baby, that that's really dark. Like that's that's going to be really dark. Like and she may not pull herself out of it. If you know anything about Polaris, the character herself, she deals with a lot of mental health issues by herself. And unfortunately, that's a trope for a lot of very powerful character, powerful female characters in Marvel's history. That's just, especially if they're of Magneto descent, Scarlet Witch is also one of those. Just like a lot of problems, a lot of things happen. So I guess they were like, we're not gonna go that dark. Instead, we're gonna let her have the baby. So they let her have the baby, they named the baby Dawn, but we had a whole episode based around her giving birth to this baby. I don't know why we needed it. I don't think we needed it. I mean, the biggest takeaways for me from that first episode was the fact that Papa Von Strucker, a guy whose name I don't know either, but who played Bill in the vampire show that was on HBO, his abilities are coming back. So we learned in the first season that he had mutant ability and his father stopped it. He figured out how to stop the gene that made you a mutant, or at least pause it or stall it or whatever, make it undetectable. And he also never had any abilities come to fruition whatsoever. So he didn't even know that he was one. He just thought he was sick for a little bit and then he got fixed, done. It was a nice little side story. And then we found out the truth behind it, also a good side story. And then we get to see more of the lineage of the Strucker clan, like uh, grandfather Von Strucker was evil. And so like, and his sister also evil. And they did a bunch of crazy Nazi shit. And, but they also called themselves the, the wolf or Fenir or whatever. When they got together, this indestructible power, yada 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 yada. But all the Von Struckers have some sort of destructible ability, like, the grandfather, we find out, he can do something. Was he causing, I must say he causes explosions. He did like something with explosions that he ended up dying. And then uh, we start to see in the first episode, the culminations of an ability trying to manifest in Papa Von Strucker. So whenever he gets stressed out or is, no, just stressed out, that high uh, hormonal anxiety that kind of comes out which is a trigger for like almost every other mutant for them to start seeing their ability. Whenever he reaches that kind of point, you see his arms start to glow. Like you see it start to bubble and pop. Like it's a like it's water in a hose that you're trying to stop. But it just like, it's trying to make its way. But it never comes to full fruition. He freaks out a little bit. He tries to calm down and then it usually stops. And that's all we got from that first episode. That was the biggest takeaway. They also set up like who I guess is supposed to be the villain or at least the antagonist for the story, which is a girl who I'm pretty sure was on power. Who can scream? Her ability is very much like Banshee's. Okay. Anyway, so she kills all of Hellfire Club with uh, the triplet crazies. And so... She's taking it over and she's supposedly working towards a goal of like betterment for all of their mutant kind or whatever. And she's trying to use Polaris and the other Von Strucker boy to get this done. Uh, in the second episode, we see more of what's going on with that. So the brother-sister duo, they've been having dreams about each other. And in them, you know, they kind of meet. There's a, a, a minute of a happy reunion and then hell breaks loose. They hold hands. The girl usually freaks out as the power is about to envelop both of them. But in the second episode, in her dream, she figures out how to release herself from him and disappears. And then we find out the boy is having the exact same dream. And now he's troubled because he feels his sister distancing him, herself 
from him. Which again, why the hell wouldn't she? Because you're a psycho. So then the whole storyline for the second episode is like him battling with this need to get back with his sister. Not necessarily his family, but definitely his sister. Or sticking to his guns and staying with the new Hellfire clique that's happening. We also see like what he's exactly dealing with with this Hellfire crew. Like they're very much cutthroat. So they're like, you're either with us or you're dead. Like that's, <laughs> you don't get to leave. You're either with us or you're dead. That's it. Uh, and there's full plans to just murder him because he's not performing the way they want him to because he's dealing with a lot of a lot of issues, a lot of a lot of drama. Uh, we also see Polaris trying to like get back into motherhood and giving random advice here and there, and then just like more baby time, and that's it. Uh, we also get uh, some of the characters I don't care about. We had a side story about like how. Uh, the leaders of what used to be the underground are dealing with the fallout right now because there was a full attack on them that they barely survived. And now they are scattered to the winds and constantly on the run and not really doing, they're not really achieving a whole lot right now and trying to figure out what that means. We've also got uh, more Von Strucker craziness with the mom, mama Von Strucker, who is married into all of this. So she has no ability whatsoever. And she's just crazy about finding her son. She's just like on this kick about how we need to find him. And I don't, I mean, on the one hand, I see why they're trying to run that because she's going to be the link that finally gets him back into the storyline with all of them at play. But also, I don't need this storyline. This, we, it, he would still show up if she wasn't like this. If, if, even if she just decided like, okay, he made his decision. We're gonna do our best to try to move on. He still has a tie to his sister. Like, we don't need her to be crazy and do all, all of this. I don't know why we need it. This show, I, every time I watch it, my hope is that it's going to be better than it is. And then it's not. So, but it's enough to keep me still checking it out, to still watch it. Because when it hits its stride, it's good. The struggle is getting there when you find when we finally get to see it hit its stride and it's gonna take a little bit and i like american horror story unfortunately this is a show i can't binge so this is a show that's a week after week and these long spaces in between just help to point out these inconsistencies with the show itself like these storytelling tidbits that don't make sense or why like why was this incorporated and just Gives me too much time to think about it rather than just enjoy the show for what it is. So that being said, I'm still going to watch it. I'm still going to continue watching The Gifted with all of my complainings just to see, well, A, where this is all going to end up with, what other characters they're going to introduce. And if they're ever, ever going to touch on the fact that we are basically watching a story about these two rich white kids who had everything handed to them and then when it got taken away they flipped the fuck out like honestly they just started doing crazy shit doing things all over the place not only are they in a position where they can get that back potentially because they're two of the most powerful mutants ever created for some reason but like just how it's a damn mess like it's just all over the place i do like the side story with papa von strucker getting abilities him gaining ability it's very interesting to me because this was a guy who hardcore was against it 
I wouldn't mind that arc. I wouldn't mind him being this guy who was imprisoning mutants left and right, had to have a complete change of heart after finding out what's going on with his kids and being on the run, and then becoming a mutant himself. I wouldn't mind that arc at all, just to see where this is going. I just feel like there's too many, too many cooks in the kitchen kind of deal. Like there's so many things that don't necessarily all need to be there at the same exact time. Not only that, but I feel like we aren't getting as much of the others as we had before. Like the casting is diverse, but the screen time with each character is not, it is not shared at all. We get a lot of time with the Von Struckers, a hell of a lot of time with them. And you could argue that a lot of this was around them. Like this kicked off because of what was going on with them and their meeting with the Mutant Underground. But I would argue that we started with the Mutant Underground. So seeing them, seeing that diversity, seeing what they're struggling with, and then those Von Struckers just kind of came along for the ride. But right now, these first two episodes at the very least, it's just been Von Strucker overload. So... I'd like to see more about what's happening with the other side characters at some point. So hopefully we get that. I'm also interested to see like what this all is going to culminate to. Is it going to become an us versus them where it's like Polaris and that veneer boy against his family and the other people from the underground or, or are we going to get an even bigger bad where they've all got to come together and then figure out what to do with this newest biggest bad. Like, Something, anything, help us. So, yeah, that's all that's happening with The Gifted. Uh, yeah, I'm going to keep watching it, but I don't know if I'm going to keep talking about it. Maybe I'm going to let some episodes come through and then be like, oh, okay, well, yeah, this is what's going on. But other than, other than that, I don't We'll see. Uh, next week, though, oh, actually this week, starting Tuesday, maybe today, maybe Monday, CW shows are coming back. So all the DCCU shows are going to slowly make their way back. Black Lightning is for sure tomorrow. Uh, I'm not sure about everybody else. Flash, I don't watch Arrow. Uh, Supergirl is going to be on a Friday. I don't know if it's this Friday or not. Charmed is also coming back. So I'm going to check into that. So I'm going to be touching on those shows. Charmed especially with the turn that they made. I'm very interested to see how this is going to play out. Is it going to keep the campiness from the first season? interesting so to see how that goes uh and i quickly wanted to touch on all of the stuff happening with uh geek news so a while ago the dark phoenix saga trailer dropped and a lot of people had opinions and feelings about what was going on to be fair to whoever did the trailer they did a good job the trailer is actually really interesting to see do i think that that's the whole movie i do I do think that's the whole movie. I think it's gonna be what the fuck, Charles? You lied to me about whatever, whatever. Dark Phoenix, anger becoming the Dark Phoenix. The X Men getting together to try to stop me, not succeeding. I'm going to probably murder a few, and then I'm gonna get stopped. Maybe not permanently, but with enough damage that people think I'm dead. That's the, where we're gonna get that graveyard scene where they're burying her. And then it's just gonna, that's gonna be it. This movie is coming out right after all of the news that came out about Disney taking over Fox. Like, and it became official. Disney officially took over 21st Century Fox. So they now have the ability to take over those stories. And there was news that dropped that Kevin Feige was already assigned to look into the the X-Men properties and to take that over. On the one hand, yay. Oh my God, yay. Please, please let Kevin Feige do his magic when it comes to the X-Men and let's get a story 
that we need, please, please. I Diversity and Marvel films haven't always had the greatest relationship, but they've shown that they're listening at the very, very least. We saw that in Spider-Man Homecoming. We saw that in the casting of the characters they brought into that show it just just the kids that made up that school like they're like we're paying attention it's not gonna be an all-white school with like two black people and that's it so we're starting to hear they're starting to be like we hear you and especially with x-men properties diversity is ingrained in in the canon for the comic books already so let's go also we got to see the world where it was all white people and like two black people in x-men like come on Come on, guys. But for whatever reason, we're still getting this Dark Phoenix movie from Fox. So it's like, and I don't know if it's because it was already on the docket and they're like, we just, we have to put it out. We already did all this. So it's not going to go out or what? Some people are like, this is going to be a good thing. Like this is their last ditch effort under the Fox brand to do this movie. So, you know, whatever worries they had or whatever they wanted to hold back they don't necessarily have to hold back anymore because they're not going to be continuing with these properties after this movie that is a beautiful optimistic view i don't agree i don't think that's what's gonna happen they have a track record when it comes to these x-men movies i don't see them at this 20th hour being like you know what let's change everything and go against everything we've done for x-men movies and just make it great like it don't I don't see that, especially with what they're trying to cram in in that trailer. That trailer is touching on a lot, a lot of things all at once. Like this worry about the Phoenix, they didn't even really build up what it means for her to be the Phoenix, like at all in any of the previous X-Men movies. And you see it touching on stuff that happened in X-Men The Last Stand, arguably the worst X-Men film that has come out. So it's just like, and then I found out uh, by listening to Megasheen, shout out to you guys, shout out to Megasheen Podcast, that uh, the guy who wrote X-Men The Last Stand is also writing for this movie. So, oh uh, no, I, uh, pause. I'm not gonna watch it because they fooled me with X-Men Apocalypse. Like, I didn't watch X-Men the first class in theaters. I watched that when it was on streaming services. I want to say I streamed it. I don't because I didn't get the DVD, I don't think. So, yeah. So, I watched it that way. And the same thing, for, or no, I think I went to the theater to watch the sequel to that. And it, it was, okay. And then I went and watched X-Men Apocalypse, and it was a garbage. So, so with an Ivan Ooze looking villain. Like, yeah, so they got me with that. I am not going to do it again. You, you, you fooled me once, you fooled me twice. You fooled me three times actually, but I am not gonna spend more money on this. So good luck to you. If I know some people are super excited just to see what they perceive to be the best telling for Dark Phoenix. I hope you get what you want. I hope I hope it is amazing. And it's just like this amazing film that comes out and everybody's like, we were wrong. It's amazing. I hope that's what happens. I really do. I don't think that's what's gonna happen, but I hope that it does. So we'll see, we'll see. I don't anyway, moving on to uh, some Harry Potter backlash. So again, a few weeks ago, I was catching up on Twitter and they were talking about the Nagini uh, reveal and apparently in the next fantastical beast movie they're going to give us the story behind nagini and a nagini is either an annie magnus annie magus 
Magnus. Magnus? A person who can turn into an animal. She's either a witch who can turn herself into an animal or she is like, um, what's her face? Isn't that Annie Magnus too? Or she's just a, a being who can just turn herself into an animal at will. Like, so there's a difference between being somebody who can alter, you know, change your shape at will versus being a witch who has to do a spell to turn themselves into something. And it's usually one thing at that. So all of that being said, uh, there was some backlash with uh, the reveal that Nagini was going to be one of those. I mean, I, I was with a lot of people who was like, why do we need her to be a person? Like, why does Nagini... Why does Nagini need to have a human history? I'm confused. But also there was this backlash of like, why is she being played by this Korean woman? Like what is happening? And then people just being like, um, this feels like a reach, JK Rowling. So, so somebody pointed out that this definitely feels like a oops, my stories aren't as diverse as I want them to be, but I can make the movies as diverse as I want them to be. So I'm going to include this Asian woman as the pet of somebody. Cool. And uh, J.K. Rowling saw the tweet and was like, well, you know, the Nagini are from Indonesian culture. Yidi yada yida. Basically trying to be like, listen, you aren't catching all of what I'm giving you. Like, like there's there's more to this than just what you're perceiving her to be. Yada, yada, yada. She a snake. So my favorite comment, though, of that trail of J.K. Rowling being read was somebody, I want to say a professor, somebody with education telling the history of the Nagan. So Nagini is a spinoff of a folk myth, a mythological creature named the Naga. Well, I want to say the Naga. Basically, they're these snake creatures with like wings. They're, they're mystical creatures in Indonesian folklore. Indonesia is actually a shared, has a shared culture with India. Thus, the Indo part of this indonesia place they're like a a a spattering of a lot of different cultures around them which is not uncommon in human history when you get a bunch of people from different places and then they kind of culminate in one area you kind of get a sharing of things that's just what happens that's just what happens so you had this uh educator basically saying like yeah it is part of indonesia because it's also part of india and that's where they actually got this from and this is where it started and people just being like huh Oh, okay. Well, that's interesting. Alrighty. There's a lot of comparisons about how, like, this is from an Asian culture and therefore um, only one type of Asian should be playing it. And just a lot of conversation around that. This is not the first time J.K. Rowling has been dragged, dragged about diversity or trying to include other cultures in her 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 Harry Potter world at all when they first came out with the American version of Hogwarts and I for the life of me cannot remember what that school is called Livermorny I want to say it's Livermorny 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 something like that she based it she rooted it in the first people's mythological stories like Native American mythological story not a problem not a problem that she's taking ideas from this. The problem came that the story she built around it was that an Irish woman had built the school 
and just used all of that talking, used all of that culture and myths to name her school, not a Native American in sight uh, in the film or in the lore of how the school got its name and its and its title. So, so, I mean, it's not the first time she's done that. So she is quickly establishing a history of meaning to do well and then just kind of coming short of that. And I mean, a part of me wants to give JK Rowling not a pass, but like the benefit of the doubt. She's still learning. She's still learning like the rest of us. She tried something. It wasn't the greatest, but she tried something and was just like, okay, this is what I'm going to be dealing with coming back. So let me try something else. Granted, when she tried something else, it was like, come on, JK. But, you know, pro- process. Everybody's in a process. So, and I mean, I mean, to her credit, she is keeping the Harry Potter world alive. She really is. She's still keeping it mainstream. She's still keeping it in conversation and in focus. Who the hell knew that you could have a, a full movie based off of a book that you talked about in another book, but you can apparently, you can, because the fandom is there to just eat it all up as much as they can for as long as they can. This, her ser- her movie series lasted 10 years, 10 years. And then we got even more movies. She is easily going to go into like the next 30 years built off of this legacy. So I don't blame her for trying to wring it for every penny it is worth. I don't blame her. I do blame the quality of the content. Like we could do better there. We could do better there. We can do a more modern storytelling with a diverse casting about craziness that's going on. We could do that. But, um, you know, whatever. It's not my story. It's her story. And she's progressing the way she wants to. I mean, if you really, really had a problem with what she's been doing or how she's been doing it, we need to stop watching her movies. <laughs> we need to stop supporting her stuff. Like if that if that's the case, that's what's got to happen. Now, unfortunately, this is not a group effort for her her projects here. This is this isn't a at all of us have to do it type of situation. It's just her. So so that's where I'm at on this Nagini controversy. I understand the backlash. I understand people being like, wait a, wait a minute, wait a second. There's just a lot of talks about like how this Asian woman is now going to be fetishized and be somebody's pet. Like, that's dangerous. But also how like the Asian that this this whole thing is rooted in is not of Korean descent. It's uh, literally from South Asia too. A lot of tough questions, many questions. Who knows? Hopefully, this means moving forward because we're you know we're getting another beast movie. Let's not kid each other. It's not going to end at two. They're going to run this as far as they can. Let's hope that in whatever her next project is, we're going to see, hopefully, some sort of learning from the lessons. But I'm not holding holding my breath on anything. So that so there's that. Also, speaking of diversity. Birds of Prey have just been making announcement after announcement after announcement of characters they've been casting for their movie. We found that Mary Winstead is going to be playing Huntress. We found out that uh, Journey Smollett is going to be playing Black Canary. Oh, a lot of people had words 
about that casting because Black Canary is usually a white woman with blonde hair and she will literally be a black woman. Yeah. So many, of course, of course, the anger got out there. And then another and more recent news, we found that that uh, Rosie is going to be, Rosie Perez is also going to be in the movie and she's going to be playing Montoya, which is a detective from the Gotham series. Or not the TV show, the book series, the comics, um, who also ran under the moniker of The Question. She's definitely a lesser known character. She's also a Latinx character who is openly gay. And I I had a conversation about this with Shay over on our other podcast, the People of Culture podcast. And I couldn't help but notice how Warner Brothers themselves, especially when it comes to these superhero movies that they've been dishing out, have made it like a pointed purpose to cast diverse characters. On the one hand, I'm not hating it. We're getting an amazing assortment of characters here. If you wanna talk about having representation in film, DC is doing a really good job of including as much diversity. Well, I shouldn't say including as much, but including diversity in a lot of their projects, definitely more so than Marvel has at all. Um, Which on the one hand, makes me want to give DC kudos for for doing that but also I can't help but wonder if the reason they're doing that is because Marvel hasn't been doing it and Marvel has been dinged on more than one occasion for not having representation in their projects and you've got DC who is putting out not great projects but having huge diverse casts so makes me wonder how that's working. But yeah, so now, you know, this Birds of Prey show, which again, I don't know why Harley Quinn is involved. I mean, I know why Harley Quinn's involved because they DC's under the impression now that they have to put her in everything for some reason. But yeah, she's heading up Birds of Prey. We're getting Huntress, we're getting Black Canary, we're getting The Question, AKA Miss Montoya. Are we gonna get Oracle? Is Batgirl gonna be in it? Are we getting her? Yes? No? What? Maybe? Also, what's the quality of this story gonna be? So I found out the director is somebody named Kathy Yan, who I've not really heard of, and I don't know her projects. Like, they give a list of things that she's been attached to. I don't know what any of those are. And as I said earlier, Marvel, including directors that we've never heard of, didn't hurt it. It didn't hinder it at all. But story-wise is what I'm worried about when it comes to DC movies. Like, they do a really good job of like, look who we're casting. And even the trailers are like, wow, check out the trailers. And then you get the movie. And then you're like, oh, no, what did you do? Oh, no, what did you do? We've seen it with Justice League. If you've seen the extended trailer for Aquaman, you see it there, too. I really want Aquaman to be good. I really, really do. That extended trailer did not instill trust for me when I was watching it. Like I wasn't like, oh yes, they've nailed it. I was like, oh God, here we go. It very much gave me the mummy vibes. I love the mummy with Brendan Fraser. There is a campiness quality to all of the mummy films, every single one. The reason it works though is because it's just, a, it, I believe it feels like the movie is aware that there can't be. Like, yeah, we are. We're not trying to be anything else. We're not trying to be an edgy noir. We're, we're exactly this. We're exactly this campiness that you're seeing. But with DC films, it feels like they're like, no, we're edgy and gritty. And also we don't know how to tell a story. Like that's, that's what I'm getting from the live action films. And unfortunately, Aquaman seems to just be following suit with the madness. 
Oh gosh. Oh, Aquaman. I really need you to be good. Come on. But anyway, so yeah, that's what's happening. Uh, at least in the news that I've been seeing so far. I'm worried about DC, but uh, Monday, one day they're going to get it together. One day they're going to get it together and we're going to see some fanciness. There's rumors of Ben Affleck dropping out as Batman. There's rumors about Henry Cavill also dropping out as Superman. There's stories about them totally shifting focus and making it more about Supergirl than Superman, which I find a little hard to believe. They forever, for eons, have talked about how their core demographic is men. Wonder Woman barely got the attention that she needed to even make it out there. Yes, she's the strongest film out of all of the DC movies that have dropped out in recent years. But also, does that mean, what does that mean moving forward? Is she the reason why? They're like, nah, forget Superman. Let's go with Supergirl. Like, that. I don't, <laughs> if any of this is true. This is also speculative. We don't know if it's actually going to be happening or not. So, who knows? But yeah, I mean, we're getting into fall, winter season time. The movie side slows down, but the TV shows pick the hell up. So I'm interested to see how that is going to tie into everything. DC streaming service is out. Their live action shows are about to drop. Titans looks a hot mess. It doesn't, it doesn't look good, guys. It doesn't. It really doesn't. I want it to be good. Again, I want it to be good. It's got... It has a small hope of being good, but those trailers weren't doing much for me. The terrible wigs on Starfire wasn't doing it for me. The random fuck Batman speech. Not understanding why that was. It, it gives me Birds of Prey, the TV series vibes. And that show was not good. So, so we'll see. Oh, we'll see. Anyway, this is running super long. But yeah, so that's what's happening with the Kirby Geeky Fangirl for this week. I am going to try my best to come back again next week and recap all the stuff I'm watching. I'm going to be watching the same stuff. Like I said, My Hero Academia has finished for right now. So I'm definitely going to just be touching on uh, American Horror Story Apocalypse. What else is going on in The Good Place? What other stupid mess is happening in The Gifted? Uh, and whatever else is going to be popping out for CW because their return is going to be this week, I want to say. Yeah. Because I definitely know Black Lightning's coming back. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if we're getting The Flash right away, if we're getting Legends of Tomorrow right away, now that Constantine has joined them. Uh, I'm interested to see what's going on with Supergirl. I refuse to watch Arrow, so I don't know what's going on with that. Is there any other DC shows happening? To my knowledge, that's it. I don't watch Riverdale. I got, I've got through the first season. I cannot get into it with the second season. And it's looking like I'm not gonna be able to get into it with the third one either, because with the serpents and these gangs, and I don't. But anyway, so that seems to be it for right now. I don't know if there's any. I don't think there's any other shows that I know of right now. So right now, that's it. Right now, that is it. We'll see what else is going on. But I'll talk to you guys next week. As always, you can find me on all my stuff. So you can find me at curvygeekyfangirl.com. You can find me at forallnerds.com. I have an article out. Uh, that features my interview I did with Marcy Harrell. She did a whole series on Blueprint, which is a do-it-yourself, a DIY-type streaming series uh, about how to do cosplay under DC Heroes right now. Superman, Batman, the like. Uh, how to use everyday components to integrate that. Kind of like fandom fashion, but more sewing is involved. So not really like fandom fashion. Kind of. 
all of that. My fandom fashions also are out. I have a coven dedicated fandom fashion that's up and posted as well. I also recently put out an article that talks about all of the clothing that's coming out in time for all of the geek fandoms that are hidden. Doctor Who is back. I haven't caught up in that first episode. I'll be talking about it later. But Doctor Who is back and in celebration of Doctor Who coming back, especially with a lovely female doctor that is leading it now, Hot Topic and Torrid and her universe are all putting out stuff geared around the first ever female doctor, the 13th doctor. So if you want to get your best 13th doctor cosplay on, they're making it super easy right now. Yeah, if we could check that out. I talk about it in my article and a bunch of other stores that are also jumping on the fandom fashion boat in some sort of way. So check that out if you get the chance. That is forallnerds.com. Of course, my own website, curvygeekyfangirl.com. I am on Twitter a lot under curvygeekyfangirl. You can run that search. I'm a pop-up. I used to be on Instagram a lot. I haven't been on it a whole bunch, but you never know when I'm coming back. So you can check me out there too. And that's going to be it. I hope you guys have a good week. Uh, Hopefully a nice short week. And I'll talk to you guys later. Bye.